All right, well, all year we're, we're focusing on learning the way of Jesus, which basically means we're asking the question, if the gospel is true, then how do we live? So this is downstream from faith in Christ, okay? We'll have a few messages throughout the year that make sure we don't miss that, the order there. There's hearing and believing the gospel, and then what? That's what we're talking about all year. Now, we started this, this uh, focus by working through a very famous teaching of Jesus known as the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew chapters five, six, and seven in the Bible, and we're calling this sermon series The Unexpected Way. And so for the last couple weeks, we've considered Jesus' teaching on money, wealth, and possessions. And he dealt with both, we saw, the disordered love, the love of money that is so tempting for us and is so common in a culture that is largely defined by consumerism, um, but also the fears, the anxiety, and the worries that are produced when we worry about our stuff or whether we'll have enough and so forth. There's so much fear produced when we think about money as well. If you missed either of those or any of the messages in this series, here's my little advertisement, you can always go back and watch on YouTube or on the church app or listen to the audio podcast. There you go. Thank you for listening. All right. Well, today, uh, Jesus turns his focus to a little different uh, topic, away from money, wealth, and possessions, and towards another, yet another heart issue that we all have got to deal with. Today, we turn to the problem of being harshly critical or judgmental of others. Now, right or wrong, Christians often get the reputation for being judgmental or having sort of this holier-than-thou attitude towards other people. Have you ever experienced this? Sometimes Christians are on the receiving end of this. Have you been, ever been accused of something like that by a friend or a family member, a coworker, somebody? I have. Let me tell you about the last time I was uh, experienced this. So the last wedding that I officiated, I, I didn't know most of the people at the reception, which can happen from time to time. I knew a couple people, but not, not you know, all 200 or whatever, whoever was there. I knew the bride and groom, obviously, but beyond that, I was kind of on my own. So, of course, at dinner, I was seated with some random people that I didn't know. Now, with my level of extroversion, this is not a problem for me. In fact, this is, uh, I love that environment. Holly doesn't come, and I love to be there. So that's kind of how our personalities work. Okay, so where's my seat? Great. Table full of people I don't know. This will be fun. But when the lady who was seated next to me saw that it was me, you know, the pastor who was going to be sitting next to her, she, she said, literally said, Oh, no. <laughs> oh, I feel so welcome at your table. I said, I just said with a smile, oh, no. Like, what do you think I'm going to do to you? And she said something like, well, now we have to be on our best behavior. <laughs> well, I just laughed, and I said... I'll try to not make this too weird for you or painful. And then we went on and we just had a great evening together. We talked and we laughed and we got to know each other around the table and it was, it was great. But what was she afraid of? What was she thinking I was going to do to them? I think that she was afraid that I was going to be kind of judgmental of them and maybe look down my nose at them. Uh, people that maybe aren't very religious, you know, 
don't have a strong connection to a church, don't really understand what it means to follow Jesus, kind of just want to like have some drinks and have some fun at a wedding. Okay. Now that wasn't fair. That wasn't a fair judgment against me because I wasn't there to be the fun police. But like I said, right or wrong, Christians have uh, maybe not the best reputation for being judgmental. Well, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to just never pass judgment on anybody? Never have discernment? Uh, Regardless of what decisions someone might make or what they do or what they say to us? Or, and I think this is where Jesus leads us today, is there a way to judge other people without making them feel unloved or hopelessly condemned? I think the answer is yes, and there is so much wisdom in just a couple verses that we're gonna consider this morning. So if you have a Bible or your Bible app, please take it, take it, open it, and go to Matthew chapter seven, verse one. We'll put the scripture on the screens for you as well. Um, now, I didn't, in the wedding reception, go to Matthew seven, but maybe I should have. <laughs> if you could all open your Bibles before we have the, the beef tips. Um, <laughs> probably not the best approach. Matthew 7, starting with verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. This is God's word. Okay, what was that? What was that thing at the end there? That's what I was thinking this week. All right, well, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus is teaching, just want to give you a little context, he's teaching his disciples right? He's not teaching the world. He's not giving like a public defense of the Christian faith. He's instructing his disciples on what it looks like to follow his way, the way of Jesus. So many of the lessons, as I mentioned, focus on heart issues, which apply both to our relationship with God and our relationships with one another. So let's uh, start back at verse one. Let's work our way through this text, make sure we understand what we're talking about here. Verse one says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Okay, so just to pause here, uh, my first question is, what do you mean do not judge? Because there's all kinds of passages in the Bible that talk about right and healthy judgment. Uh, Even in this text, It would be impossible to do what Jesus says without some sort of judgment. So what is going on here? Well, the original word, which is translated to judge in this this verse, is also translated to condemn in the Bible. So it's a negative judgment in many cases. So given the context of this, I believe that Jesus is using a word with like a negative connotation for a reason. Why? Because in this passage, Jesus says that we are actually supposed to do several things which require healthy judgment. You need to judge to be able to see and remove a a plank from your own eye or to try and remove a speck from your brother's eye. 
um, and so on. Now, I don't think this is a contradiction. I don't think Jesus is contradicting himself. I think the, the condemnation of judgment is what Jesus is referring to here, of being, maybe we would say, harshly critical, or writing people off, dismissing people for their failures and flaws. Maybe, in fact, adopting some, something of a holier-than-thou attitude, like, I have my act together, you clearly don't. Well, so to be clear in my sermon today, I'm going to use the term judgment in the negative sense of this passage, like being judgmental. And I'm going to use the word discernment for the healthy type of judgment that, is, that we need to apply and learn as we follow the way of Jesus. Now, I understand that judgment does not have an exclusively negative meaning for us today, as I said, but I just don't want to confuse you, okay? Are we on the same page with this? All right, thank you for your support. So the first reason that Jesus gives as to why we should avoid this type of judgmental attitude or behavior is that in the same way that we judge others, we will be judged. Now, this is just general wisdom. With the measure you use, the measure will be used against you. And it's so true. Uh, Think about someone that just has an impossibly high bar, impossibly high standard for, for other people. If we have an impossibly high standard for other people, then they will naturally look back at us and see if we live up to our own expectations. And I guarantee that if we are harsh with people, they will not be very gracious or lenient in their judgment of us. If we judge others, they will judge us. That's only natural. Is that the type of relationship that we want? Is that the type of friendship that you want to have with other people? Is that the type of relationship you want to have in your marriage, in your home, or or even at the office or school? Well, let's keep going with verse 3. Jesus gives us an alternative to just judging and being judged. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? You're supposed to laugh at that. Okay, that's funny. A a plank in your eye is not a very realistic picture of someone, right? Imagine seeing or noticing or focusing on someone for having a splinter in the eye and you have a beam sticking out of your face. It's ridiculous, okay? It's like a camel passing through the eye of a needle, right? Jesus teaches with these pictures that are absurd to make a point. Now, obviously, you should see or notice your own plank, your own problem first. It's a ridiculous picture, and yet, why is this a problem for us? Why is it easier so often to see or notice what's wrong with others, their failures, their flaws, their shortcomings? Why is it that other people's problems seem obvious to us when it is not obvious to the person struggling. So to use Jesus' analogy here, why is it easier to look at and see the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye while remaining blind to the plank in your own eye? Now, one reason might be that sin is blinding to the more we say or do or, or even think something that's wrong, the more those patterns are worn into the track of our life the more we become hardened in heart, 
the more we, come, we become dull in our conscience toward the fact that that thing is really wrong. It takes a work of God. It takes a miracle to turn a heart of stone into a heart of flesh, a heart that is sensitive and discerning. Now, that might be one reason why we have a hard time seeing our own issues. Maybe they've, we've just kind of become dulled to the fact that they are wrong. Well, another reason might be that we are so good at self-justification. Human beings are like story-making machines, and we come up with stories all the time that excuse our bad behavior. We are great at justifying our own actions, right or wrong. We have all sorts of reasons, and these reasons seem good in our own minds for why, to justify why we might think or say or do something wrong. But we don't hear the internal dialogue, the internal self-justification, the internal story-making machine of someone else. All we see is their actions, or all we hear is their words, or all we see is the sneer on their face. So we don't have that justification for their bad behavior. We only have what we see. Maybe that's another reason why it's more obvious to us when someone is off. We only see the external. So we justify our actions, but we're not as readily, or we're not as ready to justify others' actions. Maybe that's why it's easier to see other people's problems while excusing ourselves. But no matter why it happens, there's probably other reasons too, both spiritual and psychological, I'm sure. What Jesus is saying here is, is this is definitely a problem for us. But this isn't the only problem. He continues with verse four. Look back at that. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? So it's not just what we see or notice. It's not just our ability to notice the speck of sawdust in our brother or our sister's eye. But we go beyond noticing and we get into, let's say fixing would be a help, maybe a more positive word. Meddling might be a more negative word. We try to fix them or help them or correct them or just get in their business somehow. Now, it's not just that it's easy to see other people's problems or sin or struggles, but it's that we try to do something about it when we are ignoring our own problems and sins and struggles. And nothing damages a relationship quicker. Nothing drives a wedge between two people like having one person try and fix you when they're clearly, to use the language of our times, a hot mess and seem to be blind to their own junk. That's frustrating, right? Well, what are we supposed to do? Again, are we never supposed to bring up issues that we see in other people? Are we never, is a husband or a wife never supposed to address an issue, raise the flag on something that is destructive in their spouse's life? Or is a parent never supposed to correct their child because they might have a plank sticking out of their own eye? Look, look at verse five. You hypocrite. <laughs> oh, the love of Jesus. <laughs> it's loving to speak the truth, isn't it? First take the plank out of your own eye, Jesus says, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, I believe this is really the core of this passage. This is, this is the big idea. There's so much wisdom here for us. First, Jesus says that if we fail to do this, if we fail to deal with ourselves first, 
If we fail to take the plank out of our own eye first, we will be guilty of hypocrisy. Now, that's not an insult. That's just the truth. The dictionary definition of hypocrisy is this, the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. That's exactly what he's talking about here. This is why Jesus says that if we call out someone or try to fix someone first without first seeing or considering our own issues, without first attempting to work through our struggles and our sins ourselves, we'll be guilty of hypocrisy. In other words, we are holding others to a standard that we don't hold ourselves to. That's hypocritical. Commentator Leon Morris writes, quote, Jesus is drawing attention to a curious feature of the human race. Painful, I would say, not curious. In which a profound ignorance of oneself is so often combined with an arrogant presumption of knowledge about others, especially about their faults. <laughs> curious. Well, instead, what does Jesus say? First, take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You will see clearly. I think that phrase is interesting. What does that mean? It probably means many things, but I'll give you three this morning. First, seeing clearly means you'll be able to render a proper or healthy judgment. This is what we mean when we say discernment. You will be able to be discerning. It's somewhat comforting for someone who is struggling with something to meet with other people who are struggling with the same thing, with the same issue. To have a support group where you're kind of all dealing with the same thing, that's, that is comforting and it's helpful. But even though that is helpful, it may not be the most helpful thing because if it's only people who are struggling or trying to deal with their struggles, then there's no one who can provide wisdom to help or model the way out of the struggle. We need both friends and counselors. We need both people to walk with us and walk ahead of us so that we can follow them. But someone who sees clearly can, can both see potential, the potential problem or problems most of us have more than one, let's be honest, and potential solutions. When you see clearly, you can see both better where the issues are and where to go. That's what clarity of vision brings. Seeing clearly brings clarity. Second, part of this discernment includes the reality that you've been through some things. You've had to deal with some junk in your life. You've had to deal with problems and sins and struggles and immaturity and more in your life. When you first notice and you first deal with your own issues, the plank in your eye, you can see clearly at someone else's struggle and see a bit of your struggle in theirs, even if they're struggling with something different than yours. Remember the plank? Now maybe for some of us it's been a few years since we've had to deal directly and strongly with some of the real issues in our life. For others of us, we're in the middle of it. Maybe for some of us we haven't yet really started to address the real issues in our life. But when you take some time to work on that, you know what, what will happen? You know what that does inside of you? 
it will increase grace. It will increase your empathy. It will increase your mercy toward your brother or sister in their struggle. You'll look at their issue, and even if it's not your issue, you'll know what it's like to have an issue to struggle with. And that's the type of person that I want to help me. That's the type of person I want to help with my issues, don't you? Someone who's been there, someone who understands, someone who is sympathetic to your struggle. So first, seeing clearly brings clarity, problems and solutions, right? Second, seeing clearly brings compassion, compassion for the journey, compassion for the struggle, compassion that leads to hope of change and growth. Third and finally, seeing clearly will result in not only a relationship of redemption, a relationship of healing, a relationship of growth, between the two of you, but in a community of redemption, a community of healing, a community of growth and hope. Remember, Jesus is talking to his disciples here. He's talking to the men and women who are like, what does it look like to follow you, Jesus? This is what it looks like. To be people like this, to be a community like this, to be a church like this. Talking to his disciples, Jesus uses the language of family. He says, if your brother has a speck, if your brother has a splinter, if your brother has a struggle, and we can insert the language of sister as well. Jesus, in the New Testament, the language of family almost universally applies to the family of the church, not to biological family. And the reason is, by faith in Jesus, we together have one Father in heaven, and so we together become the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. So when Jesus talks about dealing with an issue, a sin, a struggle with a brother, he's talking about your friend here in the church. By faith in Jesus, we are family. So the church is supposed to be a family that experiences a growing awareness of and freedom from our sins and our struggles and is a family that graciously and compassionately helps one another with their sins and their struggles. And I would add, with all wisdom and discernment. It's complicated, right? Dealing with our own struggles, our own issues first, allows us to see clearly. And seeing clearly, we find clarity, we find a greater compassion for their struggle, and we form into a community of care, which is what the church is supposed to be. A family committed to bringing redemption and healing and growth into the lives of all people, but especially here among the family of faith. So Jesus closes this section of teaching with verse six. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs or cast your pearls before swine, I think is the, is the phrase some of you might know. If you do, they may trample them under your feet and turn, them, turn and tear you to pieces. Okay, now honestly, I didn't know how this related to the previous five verses. It's hard to know for sure how this relates to the previous section. Now, it could be, and this would be totally fine, it could be that this is just a standalone wisdom statement or proverb 
of Jesus that Matthew wanted to include in the section of teaching, or maybe Jesus said it in the moment. But I don't think that Jesus is random. I don't think that he just is like a wisdom book of random Proverbs. I think that this statement fits in with what we've been talking about in developing our discernment, both for our own issues and struggles and in relating to other people. So I think that the way that this fits, the way this relates, is actually incredibly helpful. And I'm pretty sure this is how this relates to each other. So, okay, I'm like 80% confident if, if we get to heaven and Jesus says, actually, I meant this about that passage, I would t- take the correction, okay? But the f- teaching of first working to see and deal with our issues and then working to help others see and deal with their own issues has to be balanced. We live in a broken world, okay? The unfortunate truth is that not everyone is ready to see and deal with their own issues, Giving dogs what is sacred is a, a picture of just a waste. We have, we have dogs, they'll eat literally anything. <laughs> you don't have to give them something special, I mean, unless you want to, but that's still kind of a waste, okay? It might be a treat, but they will literally, you know, I won't go into everything they eat. <laughs> Certainly not sacred, but the, literally anything, okay? Pearls are wasted on pigs. Pigs love what? Mud, muck, they don't care about jewelry. Okay, so these are two vivid images that are are communicating something. I think what they're communicating is this. In the same way, there are times, or maybe even many years, where some of our, our loved friends or family members, including our brothers and sisters in Christ, are just simply not open to our discerning wisdom, our loving help, our gentle correction, or any sort of solution to their problems. And the truth is, is that we cannot force other people to accept our help, even if they desperately need help. You have to be open and receptive. You have to be humble enough to listen to insight, humble enough to listen and seek out wisdom, humble enough to be teachable, Okay, that's the balancing thought. See and work on yourself first. See and help other people grow, find healing, redemption. Okay, but balance it with the fact that not everyone is open when you're ready. So, so let's say that you've taken the time to work through this process. You've taken the time to work on yourself, work on your own faults and flaws and weaknesses, find growth in some areas, find freedom in Christ. How do you know when you're ready to point out someone else's fault or flaw? Well, I would say, here's how you know you're ready. If you think you can do so as a gentle correction and not as a harsh condemnation. You'll know. When you think about that conversation, you'll know when you're ready. If you think you can do so in a way that could be seen and felt as speaking the truth in love, then I think you're ready. Or if you think that you can see how both grace and truth apply to the issue or the failure or the flaw at hand, I think you might be ready. Jesus was full of grace and truth. 
finally, if you see, if you believe, if you, if you really analyze your heart and think and, and assess that the goal of this interaction, the goal of this intervention, the goal of pointing out the flaws or failures is really more about redemption and healing and growth and not about making them pay for what they have done, you're probably ready. Well, as we close today, I'm gonna give you one final pointer to help actually do this teaching. The Sermon on the Mount and all of the teaching of Jesus, in fact, the whole Bible, cannot be read and obeyed without remembering the gospel. We have got to remember the basis of our faith, the, the perfect life of Jesus, his sacrificial death on the cross, his victorious resurrection from the dead, his ascension, his reigning and ruling today as the king of heaven and earth. We cannot obey this teaching without remembering that reality. So as we close, we have to remember that the whole context of the gospel is our total inability to save ourselves either by our own effort or our own goodness or our own holiness, unable, unable. Apart from the grace of God and the saving work of Jesus Christ, we are all, every one of us, utterly lost. When God sent his son into this world, he judged the world. He judged the world as needing a savior. And in that judgment, it wasn't condemnation alone. It was one of rescue and redemption and hope and healing. That's why Jesus came. That's why he did what he did. That's why he lived and died and rose again. Why? So that we might be forgiven and freed from the power of sin and death. So that we might be reconciled with him and no longer separated from him. So that we might be redeemed and have healing and grow in our relationship with God and in our faith. So that we might be made into a new creation. So a Christian who is judgmental or harshly condemning or adopts a holier than thou attitude has forgotten the gospel. But the good news is, is that when you see the judgmental plank sticking out of your own eye, you can be forgiven once again. In fact, you can be set free from that attitude. You can be freed into the humility of being teachable and accept the grace and the mercy of God. So today, may we be people who have the humility to see and deal with our own issues first. But may we also be people who see clearly enough to have the clarity and compassion to form a community of care that works for the redemption and healing and growth of all people. And I believe if we do, this church, this community will make the gospel a thing of beauty in this city. It will be a light in a world of darkness and judgment. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you that you, in your judgment, you didn't, you didn't condemn us, but you gave us a path of hope and healing and life. Father, I pray for us. Lord, we all can be judgy sometimes. We can all look down our noses at other people. 
for so many reasons, silly reasons or important reasons. God, would you forgive us? Would you forgive us for withholding grace, withholding mercy, withholding forgiveness of other people? Would you forgive us when we write off people because of what they've said or done? When we devalue or dehumanize people because of their sin and their struggles, when we have the same types of sin and struggles ourselves, Lord, please forgive us and give us the strength and the faith by your spirit so that we might follow, follow your son in this path, a path of life, a path of growth and healing. And God, may we help others do the same. We pray all this for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen.